Amen. Well, good morning. For those of you who may be visiting with us today, my name is Serena. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Chapel. And it is an honor and a privilege for me to be able to share the word with you this morning. Okay, so show of hands. How many of you have ever been reading through the Bible and you come to this passage that caused you to stop and go, huh? Okay. Show of hands, how many of you have ever been reading through the Bible and you have come to a passage and all of a sudden you were like, these words are really harsh. This is really difficult stuff. I think that we can all admit that there have been times when we have read through the Bible and we have wondered, what in the world is God trying to say in this passage? This seems too hard. This seems too difficult. Jesus, you are being too harsh with what you are saying to me right now. And in all honesty, the passage that we are going to look at this morning is one of those places for many people. Some people really struggle with this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is very direct, and he is very clear, and he does not mince his words at all. And the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Matthew 5 through 7, they are not easy chapters to read. They're difficult words from Jesus, challenging words. But even in the difficult words and places of Scripture, even those verses that cause us to wrestle and wonder what in the world is God trying to say, there is always something for us to learn. And so that is what we are going to do this morning. We are going to look at this difficult passage, we're going to wrestle with it together, and we are going to ask one question. What is the main thing that Jesus is trying to say? So would you please stand with me in the honor of reading of God's word? We will be in Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 21, and this is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come back and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. 
But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair black or white, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, anything more than this is from the evil one. Let's pray. Loving God, anoint us with your Holy Spirit as we hear your word this day. Fill us with your truth that we may walk in the ways of God and glorify our Father in heaven. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. O Lord, who is our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Hard words. Difficult words. Difficult topics. And I'm sure you're probably wondering... What is she going to do with this? Before we can truly answer the question, what is the main thing that Jesus is trying to say, because that's what our purpose is this morning, what is Jesus trying to say to us? We need to understand this passage as a whole. So we're going to take the 30,000-foot view of this passage. Now, we cannot just isolate this passage There is this flow to what Jesus is saying that is very important, and we have been diving deep into that flow over these last few weeks as we have been walking through Matthew, and even the last two weeks as we have been in Matthew chapter 5. In chapter 5, Jesus begins with the blessed ones, Explaining that in God's kingdom, the blessed ones are those that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They are the pure in heart. They are the peacemakers. Jesus has this whole list of what it means to be the blessed ones. And then he goes on, as we looked at last week, to say that the blessed ones will be salt and light in the world. The ones that reveal who God is in this world. Now in verse 21, Jesus makes this shift. He's beginning to describe what being salt and light actually looks like. How it is actually lived out. 
And he is saying that one of the ways that we live out being salt and light in the world happens in our relationships. Jesus goes on to describe how our relationships can either be salt and light or can damage our influence in the world. So the question we have to ask is, well, if Jesus has a different way for us to look at relationships, what do kingdom relationships actually look like? And I think in this passage we see five key things from Jesus about what kingdom relationships look like. The first thing we discover is that kingdom relationships begin with a heart transplant. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff shared with us this quote from Max Lucado. It says, Matthew 5 describes God's radical reconstruction of the heart. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to tell us this morning. He is talking about a heart transplant that changes everything from the inside out. In the verses right before our text, Jesus addresses the religion of the Pharisees. He calls his people not to a righteousness that comes just by keeping the rules, but to a righteousness that transforms the heart and mind, and from that transformation, then transformation in our behavior takes place. Jesus is not trying to contradict the law that was handed down to Moses. He's trying to elevate it, trying to take it to the next level. Jesus came to bring about a kingdom where the law is not about external actions, but internal change. A change that actually takes place and transforms who we are. Carla Sundberg, who is one of the general superintendents of the Church of the Nazarene, says this. Is it possible that the way we view things within our own human context is often not the way God views things in the kingdom? God's goal for all humanity is that humans become transformed into his image. That humans become a reflection of him in the world. Last week, Pastor Jeff said that our lives reveal whether or not we are living the way of Jesus. And in verses 21 through 37, Jesus takes it one step further and says, not just our lives reveal that, but our relationships reveal whether or not we are on the way of Jesus. Carla Sumberg goes on. It's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but it's so good for us today. It is a sobering reality, a huge responsibility to think that the reflection of God seen in us is the way that the world will perceive God. If God's people are not sanctified, will the world see God as holy? 
As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility to reflect the true God to this world as clearly as possible. Therefore, we must allow God to sanctify us and fill us with his spirit. We must allow his thoughts to become our thoughts. We must seek him with all our hearts so that the world may see the true God that he may be a sanctified God through the actions of his people. Anything short of this becomes a distortion of the image. The image is holy, and so the reflection should also be holy. As we allow God to transform our hearts, to transplant his heart into ours, something happens to our relationships. Relationships are transformed when we are living on the way of Jesus. The second thing we learn about kingdom relationships is that kingdom relationships are careful with words and actions. The change begins in the heart, yes, but then it moves outward into our thoughts, our words, in our actions. How we interact with one another truly matters. What we say about one another truly matters. We can say things that will build others up, We can say things that will tear others down. This is why Jesus speaks so strongly about this. Jesus is going behind the action right to the heart and to the motive. It's not just our actions, but our words that matter. As the people of God, we must guard against our responses, our reactions, and words that could lead to the destruction of relationships. Dallas Willard says, actions do not emerge from nothing. They faithfully reveal what is in the heart. I don't think we like that part sometimes. And we can know what is in the heart that they depend upon. Actions do not emerge from nothing. Jesus is saying that we must not let our hearts become consumed with anger. That it would lead to destructive actions in word or in deed to another person that is made in the image of God. As I was preparing for this message, it's it's hard to Prepare a message like this in the weeks that were leading up to the presidential primaries. Because if I could be honest, some of the things that I saw and read and heard about how people were talking about one another reminded me of Matthew 5 in this passage that we're looking at this morning. So what are the words that we use when we describe the other party? 
What are the words that we use to describe other groups of people? Like the refugee. What are the words we use? What are the titles we give? What are the words we use to describe the homeless? The LGBTQ community. Those that don't think like us. Those that don't look like us. What are the words that we use? Are they the words Jesus would use? This isn't a new thought Jesus was giving to the people. God has been speaking about how his people treat one another from the very beginning. We're going to look at just a couple of passages from the Old and the New Testament. In Proverbs 15, it says, Respond gently when you are confronted, and you will diffuse the rage of another. Responding with sharp and cutting words will only make it worse. Don't you know that being angry can ruin the testimony of even the wisest man? When you speak healing words, you offer others fruit from the tree of life. But unhealthy, negative words do nothing but crush their hopes. Proverbs 18. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. Now we move to the New Testament in Ephesians 4. Do not use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Colossians 4. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation. Not to put them down. Not to cut them out. The book of James has a lot to say about our words and our actions. In James chapter 1, My dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry. For human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. James 3 but the tongue is not able to be tamed. It is a fickle, unrestrained evil that spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise our God, God our Father, and then turn around and curse a person who was made in his very image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curses the next. My brothers and sisters, this should never be. So are we going to take the word of God seriously? If we are going to be salt and light, then we have to rise above the destructive noise. That's what it is. The destructive noise all around us and show another way. Otherwise, we just become part of the noise. So are we being salt and light in the way that we talk about others? Are we examples of God's idea of relationship 
in our words and in our actions. Every interaction with another, everyone, is an opportunity to display the kind of relationships Jesus is calling us to in Matthew 5. The third lesson from Jesus is kingdom relationships bring reconciliation. If our relationships are how we can be salt and light in the world, then we must ask the question, what impact does our broken relationships have on our witness? Why would Jesus have a problem with people of God living out lives where relationships are broken and people are hurting each other through their actions and their words? Again, Jesus is not just interested in this surface-level change. He is interested in a heart change. He isn't just talking about us being people that just watch what we say and do because it's the right thing for us to do. He's talking about the importance for us to take that deeper and be people of reconciliation. Kingdom relationships look like people who value reconciliation, even when it's hard, that will seek it out. I'll tell you, reconciliation is very difficult to do sometimes. It is not easy. And there are times when our Attempts towards reconciliation are met with walls. But what Jesus is saying to us here is that as far as it depends on you, we are to seek reconciliation. If you know that you have wronged someone, you have spoken wrongly about them or caused them hurt or pain, as far as it depends on you, it is your responsibility to pursue reconciliation. The actual act of reconciliation, that's God's territory. We can't change other people. All we can do is seek to be reconciled. This is bringing us back to Matthew 5, 9, when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They are the blessed ones. Jesus is also showing concern, not just for healing within personal relationships, but healing within a society. He wants to see restored relationships between people. And he is assuming that his followers will be peacemakers. This means that we, as Christ followers, should make every attempt to be at peace with each other, provide opportunities for reconciliation. And in doing that, we can show the reconciling power of the gospel, the God who reconciled himself to us, to the world. In Colossians 3, it says, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense. 
Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. Ephesians 4 Ephesians 4 says, be gentle with one another and sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. In Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. 2 Corinthians gives us a beautiful picture of what reconciliation is to look like in God's kingdom. Chapter 5, starting at verse 18. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Reconciliation is the antidote to fractured relationships because it is rooted in the character of God who came to earth to reconcile people to himself. This is how we show the world who God is, the God of reconciliation. We are to be an example of reconciliation in this world. The fourth thing we learn from Jesus about kingdom relationships is that kingdom relationships are all about love. It's this love, this sacrificial love, this love that is willing to serve others, not seek to be served. It is a love that is seeking to build one another up in the ways that we speak to each other, the ways we speak about each other, the ways that we act towards one another. These verses in Matthew 5 that we just read, these are the behaviors of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are pure in heart, those who are the peacemakers. This is the behavior of the blessed ones. This is love, true love lived out and expressed. This is what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. This was radical stuff from Jesus. If you really take a deep dive into Matthew chapter 5 and seek to understand the context into which Jesus was preaching this Sermon on the Mount, and especially these verses, this was radical stuff that Jesus was calling his people to. It's all about that change of heart that changes behavior that brings reconciliation, that is filled with love. Jesus is calling his people to this radical love in all that they feel and think and do. On the way of Jesus, we do not harbor anger. 
On the way of Jesus, we are people that long for reconciliation. On the way of Jesus, we value others as people and not objects. On the way of Jesus, we are people of integrity in our thoughts, in our actions, in our words, and in our relationships. On the way of Jesus, we love with a sacrificial love. This is what love looks like. This love, put another way, sounds like this from 1 Corinthians. Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving never stops loving. The way of Jesus is the way of love, a love that is built on trust and faithfulness and integrity, the love that we were shown in and through Christ. That is the love we are to be showing to the world and in our relationships. The last thing we learn about kingdom relationships actually takes us back to the beginning. Kingdom relationships are rooted in surrender. We begin and end with the heart. If we truly want to be the people who live out the kingdom relationships that Jesus is calling us to, we must be people that are fully surrendered to Christ. Because none of this is possible in our own strength and power. How do you forgive someone that has hurt you without God's help? How do you seek reconciliation without God's help? It's as we allow the Spirit of God to change our hearts. Jesus is calling us above all that noise. He's calling us to this higher place. But we have a choice to make, don't we? We can choose the way of Jesus, or we can just stay right where we are, and not allow his word to change us. 
Jesus is calling his people to a new way of viewing relationships. He is calling his people to a restoration of what God intended from the very beginning. It's this language of this covenant relationship. But we have a choice to make. Deuteronomy chapter 30, God says, now listen. Today I am giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees, and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen, and if you are drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you are crossing the Jordan to occupy. He says it again, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. This summons from God to love God and keep his commandments is not just a simple embrace of the list of to-dos. This is what Jesus has been saying all along. It's not about the external actions. It goes deeper than that. It is this invitation to this covenant relationship that God wants to have between us and him that then spills out in our relationships to one another. It is saying because of the commitment I have made to Christ, I make a commitment to you to love you as Christ has loved me. Dallas Willard says, Is it then hard to do the things with which Jesus illustrates the kingdom heart of love? It is very hard indeed if you have not been substantially transformed in the depths of your being, in the intricacies of your thoughts feelings, assurances, and dispositions in such a way that you are permeated with love. Once that happens, then it is not hard. What would be hard is to act the way you acted before. What a good word that is for us today. To be so permeated with love that we just can't help it. Jesus is calling us to be so steeped in his love 
that living the kingdom way of relationships is just natural. It's, it's who we are because our lives have been transformed into his image. It just becomes second nature to us. We don't have to think about it because it's who God is. And if God is at work within us, then that is who we are. Diane LeClerc says, only with love at the center of our hearts are we ever enabled to reflect the holy God. Only with love at the center. His love that he has transplanted and put there. If we claim to be followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to take these words seriously. We cannot be salt and light in this world if we are not people of integrity in our relationships. First with God and then with each other. I have to be perfectly honest with you. When Pastor Jeff told me he was going to be away and he asked me if I would preach this week, I said, sure. I can do that. And then he told me the passage. (laughs) He said, I want you to preach the next section that comes in Matthew chapter 5. I want you to preach Matthew 5, 21 through 37. And I have to tell you, I I was a, a little concerned. This is not an easy word to read, let alone an easy word to preach. But can I tell you that every time that I sat down to read and to study and to seek what God wanted me to share with you this morning, I was moved to tears. We have an incredible honor and privilege and responsibility as the people of God who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ to show the world something different when it comes to our relationships. Now, sometimes we get this right, and sometimes we are blazing lights in the world, pointing the way to Jesus But sometimes, my friends, we get this so wrong. Can I just be that honest with you? Sometimes we are just part of the noise. We're not the prophetic voices that are calling out to the world, there's a better way. God is calling his people to something deeper to something better. We don't have to be part of the noise. It's this transformation of the heart that leads to transformation of behaviors and attitudes by the power of the Holy Spirit that then transforms us into being people that are more like Christ that then go out into the world and change how we interact with one another. It changes our relationships, and it's how we become salt and light. It would be very easy for us to dismiss this word and just say, this is too hard. 
it would be easy for us to just say, you know what, I'm good. I'm comfortable right where I'm at. If I don't, if I don't deal with the issues over here or deal with the people over here, I can just put my blinders on and just keep moving forward. I'm good. But God is calling us into this deepness of this transformational love that he has for us. He's not comfortable with us just staying where we are. He wants to do the work that is necessary in us so that our lives and our relationships can be these blazing lights that point to Jesus. Are we listening to his call to go deeper? I'm going to invite the worship team to to come as we prepare to close. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if you are struggling with difficult relationships. I don't know if if you are just comfortable with sitting the edge of the shallow end of the pool. That's between, that's between you and God this morning. But I would be remiss if I did not give you the opportunity to come and talk to God this morning. Maybe there is a difficult relationship that you're really struggling with and, and you want to be a person of integrity in the relationship and you want to be a person that is seeking reconciliation but you know you can't do it without him. So maybe you just need to come and leave that relationship at the feet of Jesus and say, I need your help. I want my life to declare the kingdom relationships but this one is hard. Maybe this morning you know that what it's going to take for you to really live out these kingdom relationships is for you to fully surrender to God. To say, I'm going all in. Whatever it is that you ask me to do, even if it's hard, I'm willing to do it with your help. So maybe you need to come this morning and just surrender. As we sing this morning, if you need to come and you need to spend some time with the Lord, the only thing that I ask is that you obey the Spirit. Do what He's asking you to do. And know that we are all on this journey with you. This is hard stuff. It's hard. Relationships are messy. That's why we need each other. So we can come alongside each other and say, I'm with you in this. We can do it together. As God gives us power, we can do it. So as we sing, if you need to come and spend some time with the Lord, these altars are open. They're always open, as Pastor Mike said earlier. They're never closed. 
So would you stand as we, as we sing and see what the Lord will do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that even in the difficult places, in the difficult words that we read in your scripture, there is always something for us to learn. Lord, we thank you for what we have learned from your word today. But Lord, we have to admit that this is hard stuff. Relationships are hard. Relationships can get messy. Father, I pray that you would do a deep work within the hearts of your people. That you would take us deeper. That you would help us to be the blazing light display of God and his kingdom relationships in this world. How we would be people of love, that we would be people of reconciliation, that we would be people who think about the ways that we are talking to and about and the ways that we are interacting with one another. Would you do a deep heart work within us, Lord? Would you transplant your heart into ours? Would you so fill us with your spirit that we just can't help it but to live this out? That's our deep prayer. We want to be the salt and light people in this world. We want to show the world that there is a better way. So would you help us to do that? Help us to do that each and every day. It's a daily choice that we make. So would you help us to surrender each day and go out into the world empowered by your spirit to be displayers of kingdom relationships. And may you be glorified. May you be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name. Would you receive this benediction as we head out this morning? Now may you go and may your lives and your relationships be light in the darkness that points to the one who gave his all for the world. Amen.